0: morning good afternoon and good evening and thank you very much once again for joining us on the hr on the offensive podcast my name's chris howard i'm the marketing director at lace partners and i'm delighted as always to have you with me lovely listener but i'm even more delighted to get a person who's becoming quite a regular on my podcasts and it's another one of our fellow laces emma scriven ems how are you doing
1: i'm good very excited to be back as always
0: yes it's always lovely to have you on because you always bring good guests and we're going to have another good guest today uh we're going to introduce her in a second and but what we're going to be talking about is the power of employee network groups and to do that we've got the wonderful kate nash who's joined us she is the ceo of an organization called purple space so kate how are you doing
2: i'm doing incredibly well lovely to be with you both chris emma a real delight
0: It's absolutely delighted to have you on. And as we, you know, the three of us spoke a couple of weeks ago about running this podcast and I was just joking just before we went live that everyone always brings good guests. So uh, we're really, really excited to have you on. And... I'd love to just before we start talking about the power of employee network groups, as we talked about last time. Let's talk a little bit about yourself, if that's all right, and then perhaps a little bit of uh, about Purple Space. So, if you could give us a bit of a, a minute or two on who you are and what you do, and then also from Purple Space's perspective, who Purple Space are and, and what you guys do as a
2: business wonderful well look I suppose my professional title I'm founder and chief executive of Purple Space and and I'll of course I'll, I'll t- share more in a moment but I live in Mumbles west of Swansea on the Gower Peninsula I hang out in London I travel the world and yeah I suppose choose to apply my passion to building a better working world when it comes to employees with disabilities so back in the day I was a campaigner a lobbyist I used to eyeball ministers for a living not for the faint heart. But yes, now I choose to apply, I suppose, that learning and that experience, Chris, particularly working with the business community to do better, go further, go faster when it comes to employing people with disabilities. So that's what I do. Yeah, that's my stocking trade.
0: Lovely. So tell us a little bit more about Purple Space then.
2: So we are the world's only network of disability employee resource groups or networks. And we have 2,000 leaders within our community across 192 organisations, many global, large, multinationals. And our estimated reach is 1 million employees with disability. And we've been around for seven years and we choose very deliberately to deliver learning, leadership learning for individuals who are heading up disability employee resource groups. So those individuals, they've got a proper job back in their organisation, but they're choosing to use their muscle, their passion, their energy to build these ecosystems of change within their organisation. So that's what we do.
1: Amazing. And having been to some of your events, I think the most powerful thing for me was being surrounded as a disabled person by so many inspirational disabled people just the power in that room is just incredible in terms of this community that you've built up and if we have people listening that are interested in getting involved in purple space what's the best way to kind of reach out to you guys well the best thing to do is to
2: jump into our website contact us via the contact the only two criteria for organisations to become a member is that they are either looking to set up a disability employer resource group for the first time, or they've got a pre-existing one and they want to improve the effectiveness and the outcomes and the outputs. So there is a membership fee, it's an annual membership fee. We think it's quite reasonable, that's what we keep hearing from our members. And for that fee, all of the people that are involved in delivering a network can access the tools, the podcasts, the webinars, the publications, the briefing papers our peer group sessions so there's a rich community and as you and it's so lovely to hear that you've enjoyed it Emma and I think I mean one final thought would be on this although the majority of our members do have personal experience of disability there are many ERG leaders equally who are just fantastic allies to the community and the buzz for all of those intervals just coming together recognising they've got an opportunity to change the working world so yeah but yeah jump into our website that's the best way of getting to hear about what we do how we do it and to become a member.
1: Thank you we've used a couple of different words already so employee resource groups employee network groups tell us a bit about what actually is a network group if people haven't heard of it what's the value in having them kind of where do they come from I suppose would be some of the questions people might have. The best way of describing an employee resource group or
2: network, they're called different things in different organisations. Some organisations will use the term business resource group. Others might talk about special interest groups. Others will talk about belonging groups or affinity groups. But they're all words really that define, I suppose, an informal grouping of individuals within the same organisation who, in this case want to build a more sophisticated and more realistic and probably more life-affirming narrative when it comes to the lived experience of people with disabilities. So they do two things. They support what I call the top of the shop. So they support an organisation to improve policy practice and procedure. But equally, there may be groups of individuals who want to learn how to build their own inner confidence and resilience, particularly those who may acquire disability for the first time. Or it might be individuals who just want to be an ally, you know, strong sense of justice. They may be a parent of a child with a disability, or they may be struggling with care needs of their own older parents and simply want to support others who may have challenges at work so yeah they're an ecosystem I call them ecosystems vehicles for change and one of the most powerful ways to build a better world
0: yeah I really like that I like the way that you describe it and just as you were talking one of the things that just popped into my head this word engagement I feel like and perhaps we can just touch on that just a little bit it feels to me like if you can get an ERG or a network group whatever it is if you can get those set up and working within your organization, the power that it has to keep your employees engaged, because if they've got other people, they feel like they can soundboard off. It's going to keep them closer. You know, They're not going to be distant and in a, a dark corner somewhere wondering why am I even working at this business? Because they don't align to me or who I am or my, what my values are. So I don't know, just any thoughts on that in terms of sort of rambling and not really asking you a question. What's your thoughts on the importance of them from an engagement perspective?
2: You just touch on it Chris It's so powerful I mean you think about the experience of disability It's a human experience that can touch so many people In so many different ways So one of the many reasons I do what I do Is partly because of personal experience of disability For so me rheumatoid arthritis or juvenile chronic And it can be hard So whether somebody has dyslexia They're a cancer survivor They may have Parkinson's disease They may have a visual impairment There might be individuals who experience mental ill health or all of the very many and varied experiences of disability. And what you're touching on is these are vehicles that support people to find the common truths about our experiences. And yes, access may be an issue, the soft bigotry of low expectation of others may be an issue, but the ERGs provide a vehicle to get excited about a human experience, dare I say, that so many people will have. Or for allies, people just want to do things, want to be helpful and useful and learn how to say the right thing, particularly when individuals are struggling. So yeah, you just hit on it, Chris,
1: that engagement piece is just where it's at. I think there can be a bit of a misconception that some of these groups can just be blockers, whereas actually how do we think of these groups as kind of change agents, change champions, especially in some of the things that we do at LACE in terms of HR transformations when we're looking at process redesign or implementing new systems? How can we almost leverage these groups as experts and give them the confidence to be change champions within the business when these things do roll out. And you're you're right. Sometimes there is a perception that networks and resource groups act like ginger
2: group or unions. And of course, they're all altogether different. They do enable sometimes a fresh voice and a fresh focus, perhaps on a problem that has been a perennial problem within an organisation. So from where we stand, we see employers who don't shy away from hearing difficult truths. So one of the real beauties, one of the real benefits of having a network is that you learn directly from your own people and you get real time evidence about things that are working well, but equally those things that are not working so well. So, yeah, they're very powerful. It's about engagement. It's about surfacing the lived experience, finding where the problems are, as well as having the energy to then do a deep dive know what's going wrong, particularly for the issues that
1: keep coming around again, again and again. Yeah, definitely. can be so powerful, can't it? I think we talked a lot about disability network groups, but obviously there can be network groups around gender, race, every kind of different category. But why do you think sometimes disability is a little bit behind the others in terms of the progression they've made and almost getting that buy-in from the business? I think that's largely
2: because of the very texture of the human experience of disability if we look at workplaces we know that around well, whether you're public or private and however large you are as an organization or small or whatever the jurisdictional footprint you have, or whatever sector, most organisations will have around 10 to 12% of their people will have an experience of disability. And yet when a lot of organisations monitor if they're able to do that, not every organisation is mandated to do that. It is not uncommon that they will have data that suggests maybe it's just 1% or 2% or 3% of their people. And the reason why that's often the case is simply because Sometimes well, two things going on there. One, people find it hard to identify with the experience of disability. 83% of all disabled people are individuals who've acquired that health condition or that disability through the course of their working life. And what that means is quite often they're, they're navigating changing their identity. So they may be grappling with pain, they may be grappling with discomfort, they may be grappling with having to learn new ways of communicating if they have a visual or perhaps a deaf or hard of hearing they're navigating emotional discomfort if they're experiencing mental ill health and i think all of these things conspire against us building a very powerful brand because it's it's really hard to say i'm brilliant at my job these are my gifts these are my strengths i'm a high performing individual and by the way i have bipolar or by the way i'm a cancer survivor so to your point emma i think one of the reasons why we see disability networks a little bit behind the curve we're catching up and I I like to think the purple space has done something about that but it's partly because the experience of disability is just hard to identify with in your very early days and it comes with time
0: yeah it's exactly as you just said so like people certain people we talk about obviously LGBTQ plus and then obviously you've got the BAME community and stuff like that and it's very out there isn't it and sometimes people don't really want to disclose uh, certain information about themselves and sometimes it's quite obvious that they are i'm interested in hearing when it's done well so if you could give me just a because uh, if i'm a hr director just listening to this podcast at the moment i'm thinking to myself okay, okay maybe this is something that we can do within our business this sounds like a really really good idea have you got any examples as to where you've seen and gently to name company names specifically but maybe you can just homogenize the company name and just say, actually there was one company that did it really well by doing this have you got any examples practical examples for people
2: yeah Well, there are a myriad of examples, Chris. So let me give you a couple for your listeners. So the first is around normalising, I suppose, the experience of disability within an organisation. And I can name some companies because they're very vocal about this, which is wonderful. So one is around how do you normalise the experience of disability? And often through the use of storytelling campaigns can be one of the most effective tools to do that. So Shell, for example, was one of the first companies around six, seven possibly eight years ago now, when they developed a Be Yourself campaign. And I identified 15 individuals who had different disabilities in different parts of the world, Singapore, India, Netherlands, etc. And they all did a little video cameo story. And the, the, the theme throughout that was to be yourself. And it was encouraging, particularly those individuals who may be newly diagnosed at Shell, to be brave enough to bring their authentic selves to work, to ask for the workplace adjustments they might need and to find ways of, I suppose, connecting their story with the allies who wanted to work differently and better around them. And it just took off, Chris. There are no words to describe how, for Shell, that built an engaging community. I think in the first day, there were something like 600 individuals who wanted to become disability champions of purple champions around the world so it struck a chord with individuals and it just catapulted it fast forwarded their ambition to support people to be who they are and since then many other storytellings have come so Barclays the This Is Me infamous beautiful campaign Fujitsu Be Completely You and there are many 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 I could be here all day but you haven't got the time to share with you the ways in which that takes place I think the other success that we see a bit more concrete would be how networks support companies to improve policy practice and procedure and i think that the most popular of those the most well-known deep dives are in the workplace adjustment process again tapping into the lived experience to say what works what doesn't work how long are you having to wait to get a piece of kit you know an ergonomic mouse or a chair that's better for you the other one that is very popular is the recruitment process particularly graduate recruitment what do organisations need to do to modernise their outreach to secure more disabled graduates? And then particularly, and it's very current still, obviously, is how organisations navigate hybrid working. So tapping into that lived experience to say, how do we really do this? How do we become best in class so that those people who choose to work continued remotely are not becoming second-class citizens as we all want to normalise our working world? So those are the two things, building a narrative,
1: improving policy
2: in very concrete ones
1: yeah i think it's amazing the value that can be created when these network groups and the business work together in partnership it can just create so much value and such a better employee experience for so many people across the business whether they're disabled or not disabled even if it's a disability network group i want to ask you where do you see this going in the next kind of three to five years. What do you think network groups could be doing in the future? I would. I mean, what we predict is
2: huge growth for disability employee resource groups. I and mean, we talked earlier about how disability has certainly in the past been a little bit last on the list, and that follows the cadence of legislation. You know, in the UK and in fact, rest of the world, we often saw gender legislation first. Followed by race legislation and then disability legislation. And so too do we see that cadence when it comes and that beat rate when it comes to disability. So our prediction, our expectation, and I think particularly through the glue that we provide at Purple Space, in addition to Purple Light Up, which is a global movement for change and in the run-up to the 3rd of December, International Day of Persons with Disability. So we predict there'll be more community and unity and the joining up of experiences, people with disabilities who become less lonely within their own organisations, connect and notice the commonality of our experience irrespective of the type of impairment and choose to learn together Not just about articulating and calling out, quite rightly, some of the practices that do need to be improved, but some of the things, do I say, that we need to do differently and better, to lean into our career, to be more ambitious about our lives, to be more expectant about what employers want to do for us. So our hopes, our prediction is that we'll see a much more vocal and positively expectant community of employees with disability because we want to support those that come behind us.
0: That's brilliant. Thank you very much, Kate. Just a quick one. I know Em's wants to ask a question in a second, but I was just thinking, are there any types of characteristics around the types of businesses that embrace this? I'm thinking geography, industry sector, company size. Do you see some companies tend to embrace it more with the clients that you've got, or is it a completely wide sort of range? And what do they kind of look like? What's their culture like?
2: That's a super question. So I'll try to answer it, Chris. I think back in the day, you would tend to see and i think this follows all diversity strands i think you tend to see that what i call the early adopters to be those companies that are a little bit more contained in terms of where people work so it's not uncommon for say retail banks to get it more right or professional services firms to get it more right or indeed public sector organizations where there was public sector duty so they too would often embrace the need around disability and d D&I. and then typically those that found it a little bit more problematic and I don't believe for one minute it was about resistance or it was simply it was hard so quite often retailers found it really hard and that's partly because Because it can be more challenging to connect with like-minded individuals when you are on the shop floor and you don't access some of the communications and IT that others are more privileged to. So to your question, I just see energy all over the place. I really do, Chris. And I've been in this game a long time, perhaps a little longer than maybe some of your listeners. And I am known for being positive and optimistic. I choose very deliberately to be that as a human being. But as I look back over my career, I see real change happening. And it doesn't matter where an organisation is, the jurisdiction. I think there are too many examples of now of the positive ways by which you can secure and retain disabled talent for business benefit and things like the Valuable 500 campaign, for example, and the other great employer trade associations like Business Disability Forum or Disability Inn in the States or Caderoon in the Middle East. So we're at tipping point and that's exciting. It's very
1: exciting. I suppose just to kind of wrap up, I'm kind of sat here thinking if I was listening and I'm thinking, wow, these network groups sound amazing. Where do you start with this? So whether someone's a HR professional and they're thinking, I'd love to empower people within my organisation to start a group, or whether they're actually a disabled person themselves and they think, I'd love to get involved in a group or think about a starting group. How do you actually go about starting this? Like, what's the first thing you do? great
2: question. Well, we always say there's no one best place to start. And you know that wonderful expression, if you want anything done in life, ask the busiest person. And I think it was ever thus in this. So for those individuals who feel maybe they can be helpful and to start things up, one option is to have a a little virtual lunch and learn session. If you're driven by your own personal experience of disability or being an ally or being a parent, why not host a little lunch and learn virtually? 30 minutes, 40 minutes, talking about Experiences, talking about what you've learnt about the way in which the world ticks and how other people receive you. And then to be very open, looking to set up an ERG, who might be interested, who might have a few hours to spare each month, etc. So there's no one place to start. And it's really about, I suppose. Driving that informal engagement, put an idea into the world, seeing how it can be stimulated. But I will say we have worked with many hundreds of organisations. And I can say hand on heart, once you start this, it's an unstoppable, beautiful force for change. It can be hard work because people are doing this at the side of their desks quite often, but with the support of the HR community, and we see nothing but door openers. We hear of gatekeepers, but no, I just see a wonderful community of door openers. So it lays your stakeholders your listeners I think just go for it that's my advice get some people in the room talk about a topic don't be worried about it and then say how about joining an ERG
0: that's amazing and it's so nice to hear the passion with which you talk in this space Kate it really really is it's always lovely getting people on the podcast that have that kind of drive and that passion for a particular line of work so thank you very very much for sharing that with us today
2: huge pleasure thank you for the opportunity Emma Chris thank you so much
0: now it's been really, really good. That's the end of today's podcast. But you can, of course, get us on Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, look at the Lace Partners website, lacepartners.co.uk forward slash podcast. You'll see all of our back catalogue of podcasts. What we do with most of our podcasts is we tend to do the recording as we're doing now, release it on a Thursday, and then normally a week or two afterwards or a couple of weeks afterwards, we'll release a, um, a summary, really. And particularly, as we were talking about beforehand, Kate, for those people that perhaps are hard of hearing, they might certainly find value in some of the discussion that we've had so that's our intention is, of course, to be able to make these interesting and informative debates available to all. So once again, Kate, thank you very much for coming on.
2: Pleasure. Thank you for asking. And,
0: and as always, Em's partner in crime. Superb. Thank you for bringing the guest and uh, thanks for being my joint co-interviewer this afternoon. Thank you for having me.
1: Great.
0: And we will see you next time on the HR On The Offensive Podcast. Bye.